Chapter Two of Mars Is My Destination by Frank Belknap Long. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Tom Penn. Chapter Two. We'd been talking for twenty minutes, and I still didn't know her name. She wasn't being secretive or coy or holding out on me because she didn't trust me as much as I trusted her. I just hadn't gotten around to asking her because we were both still talking about what had happened at the bar, and it was so closely tied in with what was happening in New York and London and Paris and every big city on Earth, and on Mars as well, that it dwarfed our puny selves, extra special as the blonde's puny self happened to be from the male point of view. I didn't know whether she was Helen or Barbara or Anne or Ruth or Tanya. I just knew that she was beautiful and that we were sipping martinis and looking out through a wide picture window at New Chicago's Lakeshore Parklands enveloped in a twilight glow. The restaurant was called the Blue Mandarin, and it conformed in all respects to the picture that name conjures up. A diaphanous blue, oriental, ornate eating establishment with nothing to offer its patrons that was new, original, exciting, unique. But there it was, and there it would remain, until Lake Michigan froze solid. For the moment its artificial decor wasn't important to either of us. Only the big lie, and what it was doing to the Martian colonization project. My father was one of the first, she said. Do you know what it means, to stand in an empty, desolate waste, forty million miles from home, and realize you're one of the chosen few? that a city will some day grow from the seeds you've planted and nourished with your lifeblood? I think I do, I said. I hope I do. He died, she said, when he was thirty years old, from a Martian virus they hadn't discovered how to combat until two-thirds of the first two thousand colonists succumbed to it. Why didn't he take you with him? I asked. There were no passenger restrictions then. The colonization board had great difficulty in finding enough volunteers. My mother refused to go, she said. I'm afraid most women are more conservative than men. Father died alone, and five years later, mother married a man who didn't want to be one of the first ten thousand, or the first sixty thousand. He had no problem. He wasn't like the men we saw tonight. If every man and woman on earth wanted to go to Mars... I said, the colonization board would have no problem. A demand on so colossal a scale could not be met in a century and a half, and laws would be passed to prevent the scheming that is taking place everywhere. The hatred and the violence. The big lie would not be believed. I know, she said. It's when only 20,000 can go and 5 million want to go that you have a problem. A little hope filters through, and the five million become envious and enraged. I looked at her. I was feeling the glow now, the warmth creeping through the cells of my brain, the recklessness that alcohol can generate in a man with the worry that looms as big as the big lie to the part of himself that isn't dedicated to combating the lie, the ego-centered, demandingly human part the woman-needing part, the old Adam that is in all of us. 
and suddenly I found myself thinking of Paris in the spring, and the sparkling burgundies of France, and vineyards in the dawn, and what it had meant to have a woman always at my side, or almost always, and in my bed as well. New York, flag-draped for autumn, London in a swirling fog, the old houses, the dreaming spires, anywhere on the round green earth, where there was laughter and music and a woman to share it with. All that had been mine for ten years. But now, like a fool, I wanted Mars as well. Mars was in my blood, and I could no longer rest content with what I had. Take it with me to Mars? And why not? It was no problem, when you didn't have my problem. A quite simple problem, really. The woman I'd married wouldn't go with me to Mars. She seemed to sense that I was having some kind of inward struggle, and was feeling a decided glow at the same time, for she reached out suddenly and took firm hold of my hand. Something's troubling you, she said. Why don't you tell me about it while you're feeling mellow? Considering the kind of world we're living in, mellow is the best way to feel. It wears off quickly enough, and next day you pay for it. But while it lasts, I believe in making the most of it. Don't you? Should I tell her? Dared I? I might have to pay for it with a vengeance, for she'd probably think me quite mad. And I still had some old-fashioned ideas about loyalty, and happened to be in love with my wife. It was crazy. It made no sense, but that's the way it was. I looked at the woman sitting opposite me, and wondered how a man could be in love with one woman and find another so attractive that he'd been on the verge of coming right out and asking her if she'd go with him to Mars. I looked at her blonde hair piled up high, and her pale, beautiful face, and wondered how it would be if I hadn't been married to Joan at all. I shut my eyes for a moment, thinking back, remembering the quarrel I'd had with my wife that morning. The quarrel I'd tried my best to forget over four straight whiskies at the spaceport bar late in the afternoon. It was almost as if it was taking place again, right there at the table, with another woman sitting opposite me who could not hear Joan's angry voice at all. I mean every word I'm saying, Ralph Graham. You either tell them you're staying right here in New Chicago, or I'm divorcing you. I won't go to Mars with you, tomorrow or next year or five years from now. Is that plain? It was plain enough. To cushion the shock of it, and ease the pain a little, I stared into the fireplace, seeing for an instant in the high leaping flames a red desert landscape, and a city that towered to the brittle stars. White, resplendent, swimming in a light that never was on sea or land. All right, the first Earth colony on Mars wasn't that kind of a city. It was rugged and sprawling and rowdy. It was filled with tumult and shouting, its prefabricated metal dwellings scoured and pitted by the harsh desert winds. But I liked it better that way. I wanted to walk its crooked streets, to rejoice with its builders and creators, to be one of the first sixty thousand. With my mind and heart and blood and guts, 
I wanted to be there before the cautious, solemn, over-serious people ruined it for the kind of man I was. I mean it, Ralph, Joan said. If you go, you'll go alone. All of my friends are here. All of my roots. I won't tear myself up by the roots even for you. Much as I love you, I just won't. It was five in the morning, and we'd been arguing half the night. In two more hours, daylight would come flooding into the apartment again, and I'd probably have the worst talk marathon hangover of my life. I suddenly decided to go out into the cool dawn without saying another word to her, slamming the door after me to make sure she'd realize just how angry she'd made me. I wouldn't even switch on the 5 a.m. news telecast or stop to take in the cat on my way out. Women and cats had a great deal in common, I told myself bitterly. They were arbitrary and stubborn and mysteriously intent on having their own way and keeping you guessing as to their real motives. By heaven, if I had to go alone to Mars, I'd go. So I'd really hung one on. Had gone out and made a round of the lakeside bars, all morning until noon, and then I'd sobered up over coffee and a sandwich, and started out again early in the afternoon. It just goes to show what a quarrel like that can do to a man's nerves and peace of mind, and all of his plans for the future, for I'm not even a moderately heavy drinker. Early morning bar traveling is barbarous, a lunatic fringe pastime, and it was the first time in my life I'd resorted to it. But resort to it I did, and as the day wore on, I gravitated from the lakeside taverns toward the spaceport in slow stages, and twice in five hours reached the stage where I couldn't have passed the straight line test. If I hadn't sobered up a little at noon, I'd have reached the big, dangerous bar as high as a man can get without falling flat on his face. The colonization board hadn't even tried to stop what goes on there around the clock, because there are explosive tensions and hard-to-uncover areas of criminality in a city as big as New Chicago. It's wise to provide a safety valve, for when Mars fever is running so high, practically all of us are living in the shadow of a totally unpredictable kind of violence. If anyone had asked me toward the middle of the afternoon what was drawing me, despite all of my better instincts in the direction of death and violence, I'd have come right out and told them. I had Mars fever, too. I hated the big lie and all of its ramifications. Knew that every charge that was being hurled at the colonization board was untrue. But I knew exactly how all of the tormented, desperate men felt. The ones who fought the big lie and still had the fever and needed to be cradled in strangeness and vastness. Needed space and a new frontier to keep from feeling strapped down, walled in, prisoners in a completely new kind of torture chamber. The restlessness was growing because man had lived too long in a closed circuit that had almost destroyed him. The great barrier that was no longer there had brought the world to the brink of a universal holocaust, and just knowing that it had been shattered forever was enabling men and women everywhere to lead healthier lives, set their goals higher. There was nothing wrong with that. 
only not one man or woman in fifty thousand would see with their own eyes the rust-red plains of mars and the play of light and shadow on a world covered over much of its surface with wide zones of abundant vegetation not one in fifty thousand would have a new world to rejoice in after the long journey through interplanetary space a world laden with springtime scents in the wake of the crash and thunder of the polar ice caps dissolving or possibly snow piled high on a sleeping landscape with a thaw just starting and the prints of small furry creatures on the white blanket of snow for the first colonists had taken animals with them it would take another thirty years for newer swifter rockets to be built and the supply problem to be brought under control and the colony to outgrow its birth pangs and its tumultuous adolescence and become a white and towering city as huge as new chicago and there were some who could not wait for whom waiting was destructive to body and mind a kind of living death too terrible to be sanely endured the fingers of the woman sitting opposite me were becoming restive tightening a little on my hand it seemed incredible to me that i could have gone off on that kind of thinking back tangent when i was so close to paradise for paradise was there seated directly across the table from me in that crazy twilight hour if i had had the courage to seize it boldly and if i hadn't been still in love with joan i could still make a stab at finding out for sure i told myself if i brushed aside all obstacles if i refused to let my mind dwell on how i'd feel if something happened to joan and i lost her forever how could she have been so stubborn and foolish when she was sophisticated enough to know that no man is insulated against temptation when he is lonely and despairing and paradise can be his for the taking if he can kill just one part of himself and let the rest survive what is it she asked you haven't said a word for five minutes i'm a good listener you know i always have been perhaps too good a listener it was the moment of truth when i had to decide mars and a woman too mars and the big important job and the clatter and bright wonder of tremendous machines with swiftly moving parts whirring blurring dust and the stars of morning and a woman like that in my arms i had to decide what is it she asked can't you tell me some day i'll tell you i said but not now i've a feeling we'll meet again where and how and when i don't know because by this time tomorrow i'll be on my way to mars a pained look came into her eyes and she quickly released my hand but we've just started getting acquainted she protested you know nothing about me or hardly anything i thought it might be best not to know i said and i think she must have realized then just how it was must have read the truth in my eyes for a faint flush suffused her face and she said quickly all right if that's the way it must be i nodded and beckoned to the waiter hoping she wouldn't suspect how vulnerable i still was how dangerously easy it would have been for me to alter my decision Ten minutes later I was alone again, with Lake Michigan glimmering at my back, 
and only the stars for company, and I still didn't know her name. End of chapter 2